Hi, everyone. Welcome back. As you know, I took a little break from the podcast, which I will share more about in the next episode. This episode, however, has a very specific topic and intent. Since the murder of George Floyd last week, my city of Minneapolis has been completely heartbroken. I've been compelled to start a dialogue, and as you can see from the title of this episode, I want to discuss specifically how white women, and white people in general, can better react, respond, support, and take action against racial injustice. I want to be very clear about my intention and purpose with this episode. I will not be sharing my personal feelings, commentary, analysis, nor will I attempt to teach on the topic of racial injustice or even on this specific tragic event. Because I'm a privileged white woman, I have never been and will never be a victim of racism. Therefore, sharing my opinions and feelings is not appropriate nor productive. My intent, rather, is to share concise and straightforward resources that have been recommended to me that I have found useful myself or that I plan to use in the near future. While I mentioned some resources specific to bringing justice for George Floyd, as well as supporting the community of Minneapolis, I will mostly be speaking to things that we can do in general at any time. I'm committing to this process, and I hope to create a dialogue with this audience so that we can do the work together and all become part of the solution. As I said, I'm going to be talking about resources, information, and actions that I have personally taken, and we'll share links to everything that I reference in the show notes on my site at thevictorsclub.com podcast. However, the internet is a magical place, so I encourage you to seek out information, stories, and resources yourself in addition to what I share. This list is not intended to be exhaustive or comprehensive. This is just where I'm starting and I'm sharing in the hopes that it will help some of you make the start as well. Since I've committed to being open and willing to learn, if there are any people of color listening, it is absolutely not your responsibility nor your obligation to educate me or any other white people but I am more than open to any feedback you may have about anything that I share or discuss here, and I would be more than willing to share that feedback with this audience. In order to briefly set the context for what we're talking about and why, I first want to share a statement that concisely and eloquently sums up how white people can respectfully serve as allies to the Black community, which is what our goal should be, to be allies. The quote is, There's only one way to respond. Watch, read, listen, learn. Let it chill you. Do not respond instinctively, but do not turn away. It's not about you, but you must be here to experience it. You're not the martyr, nor an innocent, nor the hero, nor the teacher. You're a witness. It's not about you, but you must be present. Do not respond like you always have, not yet. Absorb it. Let it change you. So my key takeaways from that is number one, we must talk less, listen more. And by we, I mean white people. Number two, it is absolutely 100% not about us. We are witnesses, and more times than we realize, we are participants, but we are never the victim. And number three, we must educate ourselves on systematic racism. Racism, by the way, is not being treated unfairly because of your race. It's the fact that our world has been built by white people for white people, and because of that, there are insane racial inequalities and injustices. Okay, so I'm kind of breaking this um, episode up into two sections. First is resources to just educate ourselves on kind of what what the problem is and how we can do a better job of being allies and how we can support and communicate. And then the second section, I'm going to focus more on actual action that we can take um, because educating ourselves is great, but we have to take it a step further and actually take action in order to help uh, make change happen. So first, in order to properly educate ourselves, white people, on racial injustices and the part that we play, we must be willing to get uncomfortable. It's a very, very small price to pay and it must happen in order for us to do the work. 
There are a lot of resources online for how we can become better allies, how to come overcome our white fragility, how to better support people of color, etc. I'm not going to talk about every single resource that I've come across or that has been recommended to me. I have linked to some of my favorites in the show notes, but as I said before, you can do some work to seek this information out as well. When in doubt, try to find and absorb content written by people of color. I do want to feature um, or kind of specifically call out one set of resources that I have found and one woman in particular. Her name is Rachel Cargill. I hope I'm saying that right. And her website and Instagram are filled with resources, particularly for white women to be better allies to black women. Um, I signed up for her Do the Work 30-Day course, which is designed to be an eye-opener and a call to action for those who seek to be allies to Black women. So I linked to a couple of the resources that she has created that I have found extremely eye-opening and insightful, as well as to her Instagram account. So let me know if you sign up for the 30-day course as well. I just started it. I'm on day four. Um, The content is pretty concise and easy to digest, um, but she does recommend taking it day by day, one day at a time. So that's how I am um, doing it. As you know, I love to read. So I did want to share books that I have read or um, books that I plan to read in the coming weeks and months. If you listen to episode, I believe it was episode six about my favorite nonfiction, nonfiction books of 2019, you'll probably remember that I spent a significant portion of that interview talking about the book White Fragility and why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism by Robin D'Angelo. This book explores the counterproductive reactions that white people have when discussing racism that serve to protect their positions and maintain racial inequality. The biggest thing is that we must be open to learning, truly learning, and must not get defensive and make it about ourselves or our feelings. Um, I spent a significant amount of time talking about this book in that episode, and I still stand by that. It was truly life-changing, and I think about it all the time. Just in everyday situations, it's always coming to my mind. So I think that would probably be even a good first book to tackle if you're looking to do some reading. The next couple books I have not read, but I have ordered all of them in, in the last week. So I am patiently awaiting their arrival and I'll be tackling them in the next couple of weeks. The first one is The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. Um, since I've not read these next few books, I'm just going to read the summary from the publisher so I make sure that I'm doing them justice. But um, The New Jim Crow is a stunning account of the rebirth of a caste-like system in the United States, one that has resulted in millions of African Americans locked behind bars and then relegated to a permanent second-class status, denied the very rights supposedly won in the civil rights movement. The next one is called Eloquent Rage, A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower by Brittany Cooper. Um, The summary of this one is, far too often, Black women's anger has been caricatured into an ugly and destructive force that threatens the civility and social fabric of American democracy. Cooper shows us that there is more to the story than that. Black women's eloquent rage is what makes Serena Williams such a powerful tennis player. It's what makes Beyonce's girl power anthems resonate so hard. It's what makes Michelle Obama an icon. I think this is, that's the one that I'm probably going to read first um, when I get these books. Um, And the third one that I've ordered is called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Ibram X. Kendi's concept of anti-racism re-energizes and reshapes the conversation about racial justice in America, but even more fundamentally points us toward liberating new ways of thinking about ourselves and each other. Instead of working with the policies and systems we have in place, Kendi asks us to think about what an anti-racist society might look like and how we can play an active role in building it. 
So again, I'm a big reader. I'm looking forward to reading these, um, but I'm also trying to take it a step further and actually have meaningful discussions about these books with the people in my life. So I've already talked to my group of college friends. I've already read White Fragility, but many of them have not. So um, next month, we're going to be meeting to discuss that book. And then my my regular book club, which we haven't met in a while, obviously, um, due to the pandemic, but um, we have started discussions about what book we want to read first um, and discuss together as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. As you guys know, I prefer to learn through reading, but there are a lot of podcasts and documentaries you can watch as well. Um, one that I have seen um, on Netflix is 13th, which is uh, about the criminalization of African Americans and the U.S. prison boom. Before watching, I was not aware of I knew there was racial injustice, um, obviously in general, but I, I was aware of it in the judicial system, but I was not aware of the extent of it. Um, and to be honest, there's a lot that needs to be changed with our current criminal justice system just in general, but seeing the disparity was was pretty intense. So that's one that I would recommend. Again, I recommend doing some research um, and finding ways to educate yourselves that work for you. And becoming better educated is a great step, but it's not enough. If we truly want to see change take place, there must be tangible action taken, and we cannot rely on others to to do that. We must do it ourselves. I want to start with ways to financially support. I know everyone has different financial situations, particularly currently with the pandemic, but we all know that money talks and money is power. Change is not possible without financial resources and support, period. We live in America. We're very well aware of that fact. There are a couple ways that you can go about this. Um, One would be to support organizations that are directly involved with bringing justice to George Floyd's death or to activism here in Minneapolis. I chose to financially support Reclaim the Block, which is a grassroots organization based in Minneapolis. They work to move money from the police department into other areas of the city's budget that promote community health and safety. Other ways that you can help locally during this specific time, um, one is there was a GoFundMe account set up to support the Floyd family, um, to, to assist their family in their time of grief and need, which again, it's linked in, the, in my show notes. All of this is linked in the show notes. The Minnesota Freedom Fund is a grassroots organization currently working with the National Lawyer, Lawyers Guild and the Legal Rights Center. They use donations to bail out arrested protesters and provide supplies. Black Visions Collective focuses its work on transformative justice in Minnesota. And the North Star Health Collective is a group of medics, health organizers, and community health trainers based in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And they use their funds for gear and medical supplies in the field. Another way to financially support is to look for organizations that are doing good work for people of color at all times and not necessarily related to this one event or this one moment in time. Um, And that's what I chose to focus more on. Um, There are a lot of organizations out there, so I would recommend researching and finding organizations that do good work in areas that you particularly care about or are passionate about. I did just that and found five that I wanted to support. Surprise, surprise, they're all focused on supporting women of color specifically. Um, The first one is the National Council for Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls. Um, And I'm going to read through uh, kind of the the, uh, the very brief about us or, or mission statement from each of these. Um, and I just took that directly from each of their websites so that I can make sure I'm properly communicating it. So this first one, um, their mission is to end incarceration of women and girls. 
They do this by providing a membership platform of technical support, complex coalition building, and comprehensive resources that assist local initiatives to organize toward a shared goal of shifting from a criminal legal system to one based on human justice. The second one, which is also related to uh, criminal justice, is called the National Bailout. Uh, The National Bailout Collective is a Black-led and Black-centered collective of abolitionist organizers, lawyers, and activists building a community-based movement to support our folks and end systems of pretrial detention and ultimately mass incarceration. We are people who have been impacted by cages, either by being in them ourselves or witnessing our families and loved ones being caged. We are queer, trans, young, elder, and immigrant. The National Bailout Collective coordinates the Mama's Day Bailouts, where we bail out as many Black mamas and caregivers as we can so they can spend Mother's Day with their families where they belong. Uh, When I read that one, I particularly loved it. I love the way they um, kind of take action. And on their website, you can see the list of cities where, at least this last year, that they organized a bailout. And there was not one in Minneapolis. So um, that's definitely an opportunity here in the city that... Um, maybe we could, as a community, kind of organize something because I think that's a great, a great goal and message that they have. The next one is the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, Inc. The mission of the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, Inc. is to advocate on behalf of Black women and girls to promote leadership development and gender equity in the areas of health, education, economic empowerment. Um, the following two are related to health. The first one is Sister Love, Inc., Sister Love, Inc. is on a mission to eradicate the adverse impact of HIV, AIDS, and other reproductive justice health challenges impacting women and their families through education, prevention, support, and human rights advocacy in the United States and around the world. And the final one that I chose to support is the Black Women's Health Imperative. They target the most pressing health issues that affect Black women and girls in the U.S. through investments in evidence-based strategies, bold programs, and advocacy outreach on health policies. So if you are unable to support financially, especially during this time, um, or even if you do support financially, either way, I would encourage you to sign up for the newsletters and follow these organizations on social media to learn about ways that you can participate in in events or support in a more ongoing way. Donating money one time when there is a tragic event is not really enough. These are organizations that need support all the time. So... We really need to commit to to doing that on a more long-term basis. And that's something that I'm, you know, I'm committing to as well myself because I haven't in the past. You know, all these organizations, I signed up for their newsletters and I followed them on social media and I'm, I'm committing to trying to have a, a more long-term involvement in them. Um, the next way that we can take action is to support, support Black-owned businesses in our community. Um, I've linked to a couple resources in the show notes where you can find these businesses. There's a couple different apps that you can use to search for them. I downloaded an app called Eat Okra, which is specifically specifically for finding uh, Black-owned restaurants. So I spent some time there. There's one called Trio Plant Base, which is actually a vegan restaurant that I have been to in the past. Um, unfortunately, I think they were actually affected by some of the protests and the rioting. Um, so I will definitely be showing them more of my support. And then I found some some restaurants that I was not aware of and that I will, am planning to support in the future. One, for example, in North Minneapolis um, is called Breaking Bread Cafe. They do catering but they also were planning, unfortunately, they were planning on opening their physical cafe 
in April of this year, which obviously that had to get postponed because of the pandemic. So hopefully when they do finally open, they'll get a lot of support from the community. And I'm planning on being one of those people. Another tangible way to contribute is to let legislators or organizations in power know what type of legislator legislature you support or the issues that you care about. Again, these are some things you can do to support the justice of George Floyd and here locally in Minneapolis, but there are some larger scale issues as well. So specific to this event, um, some things that you can do. One, call Mayor Jacob Fry, um, and I listed his phone number in the show notes, as well as County Attorney Mike Freeman, and demand that the officers involved in the death of George Floyd are prosecuted to the full extent of the law. You can also call and ask for a change in the hiring and training processes of the Minneapolis Police Department. So I've also listed the number of the police chief as well. And then some kind of larger scale things. Um, These are related to criminal justice because there are quite a few um, things in process um, that are related to criminal justice reform. The first is called the Smarter Sentencing Act. So call call or write to your federal legislatures um, and let them know that you are in support of the Smarter Sentencing Act, which would reduce mandatory minimum sentences on a federal level. So I've, I've linked to uh, what this bill is about specifically, and I've also linked to where you can find your, your federal legislators if you're not aware of who they are. And then similarly, there is a second or another bill called the Second Look Act, which would make reduced sentences for crack convictions from the previously passed Fair Sentencing Act retroactive. It would also reduce mand- mandatory minimums for people convicted more than three times for drug crimes from life without parole after the first offense to 25 years. It would reduce the mandatory sentences for drug crimes from 15 to 10 years, and it would limit the use of solitary confinement on juvenile prisoners. Similarly, you can also write to the U.S. Sentencing Commission, which I've included their email address in the show notes, and there's a whole list of things that you can ask them to do. So some of those include change the guidelines so that more people get probation, Change the criminal history guidelines so that a person's criminal record counts against them less. Change guidelines to reduce mandatory minimum sentences for nonviolent crimes. And consider amending the guidelines to reduce sentences for first offenders. The final thing that I'm going to talk about uh, when it comes to taking action is something that I've talked about on a previous episode. So you should know that I feel strongly about it, but it is to vote. In November, we must vote. And it's not just for president. While that is extremely important, local elections are more imperative than ever. Please vote. With the pandemic, it's still uncertain what election day will look like in November. What I plan to do and what I suggest you do is to apply online for an absentee ballot. Then you don't have to worry about being physically present on election day. You're also able to vote early with the absentee ballots, um, which may seem convenient uh, just to kind of get it done. But I would recommend waiting until just before the election day to do that because things do change. People can drop out of races. New information can come out about candidates last minute. And I think it's important to vote with all of the information available to you. So maybe wait until just a day or two or even that you cannot uh, vote after election day. So make sure you get your ballot in on election day or before. But um, 
you know, it's important to have all the information before casting your ballot. Um, so in the, in the show notes, I've linked to, um, where you can register to vote. If you have not yet registered, that's step one. And then also where you can apply for an absentee ballot in Minnesota specifically, if you live in a different state, it's just a simple Google search to find how to apply for that. So that's what I have for you. I created this episode from a place of respect, empathy, support, and compassion. And I truly hope it comes across as such. I did not want to make it about me. I wanted to make it about the process of bettering ourselves and how we can do that. If you are doing anything else that I did not mention here, please let me know. Um, Send me an email or message on Instagram. I want this audience to be talking about this. And again, this list is not meant to be exhaustive or comprehensive. This is just where I am starting. So any other feedback or ideas that people have, I'm definitely open to hearing them. And I hope that we can start um, making progress and being part of the solution together. Thanks, guys.